Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, and we have a very special guest with us today. I'm so excited. Megan Cahan, who's one of our occupational therapists here at PDT, Pediatric Developmental Therapy. Sorry for first-time listeners. So, Megan, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from, and then we'll get started with our topic. All right. My name's Megan, like Hayden said, and I am not really from anywhere. I actually grew up as an Army brat um, (laughs) for a little time here in Fayetteville, and then my life has come full circle. I married an Army soldier and I'm back here. I went to occupational therapy school at the University of Florida, Go Gators, Mm -hmm. and I have been an occupational therapist for four and a half years and working with pediatrics for over half of that time, and I have a little girl myself who is 14 months, Yeah, and just love being part of the PDT team and treating kiddos. Mm-hmm. So. It's a good way to spend the day, you know, when your biggest um, job obstacles are, you know, the, the Play-Doh is not good and soft, or if the bubbles ran out, it's not, you know, there's, that's a, that's a good way to spend a day when those are your, I'm, I'm making light. There's other stressors beside that, of course, but exactly. that, but that is a, it's a job obstacle. If you know, if you don't, if all, you don't have all the beads to string or whatever, that's a real thing for us. It's a problem. So um, anyways, I'm excited about talking today, Meg. We are talking about fine motor development. It's part of our Knowing Normal series. We did one also on Knowing Normal for gross motor development. But today, Megan is kind enough to help me out doing the fine motor for occupational therapy. And so you've had, in addition to just knowing what normal is and the fact that you're a licensed occupational therapist, but you sort of had it up close and personal with your daughter. You said she's 14 months old, so it's kind of like in-your-face normal development every day. It is, and every day I am blessed that I do have a healthy developing girl and I think it makes me be a better therapist after having her and kind of watching her develop to know what normal is when I treat my kids, so... Yeah, I had a professor tell me in school a long time ago when I was just starting and I needed to spend time at a daycare center or spend time at a church nursery or whatever just so I could know what normal is. And I, at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And I maybe did a little bit of that, but it was kind of half-hearted. But after having had children, now I'm like, yeah, they were like really smart. I should have listened to that better than I did because it does put a whole different perspective once you know what normal is and how just normal development happens versus when you really just don't have that perspective, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I go home sometimes and like, wow, my daughter's so advanced. And then I'm like, wait, She's just normal. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's a, that's a beautiful thing, though. But And it also, one of the things I think it does, I'm not the OT, but maybe all in the area of occupational therapy more than any, is just that whole, like, what's normal at different ages. The child still may be normal developing, but just if they don't do whatever it is on the exact month that they're supposed to, it doesn't mean they're delayed. It just means it's in the continuum of development. Right. Most of the time, especially with fine motor development, you know, the skills kind of build on each other as they develop. Yeah, and I always say that I think everybody in the world needs a little OT, and those of us who never got OT are just trying to hold it together. But OTs, y'all touch it all. So speaking of that, let's get on with it. All right, so we're first just talking about how to test if a child's normal and using the assessments. And so some of the assessments you use, Megan, are what? 
the most frequent assessment we use with the birth to three age range is called the Peabody Motor Developmental Scale, the second edition. Yes. And there are five subtests on the test, but occupational therapists, we focus on two of the subtests, which is the visual motor and grasping subtest. So the grasping subtest, we're looking at movements of the upper extremities that are combined with vision, such as voluntary reaching for or grasping and then releasing objects. And then the other subtest is visual motor integration, and so that's the dexterity under manipulative skills, which includes handling blocks, cups, and drawing instruments. And then that also incorporates the interpretation of visual stimuli, and so copying designs. So those are the two subtests we focus the most on the Peabody. And so talking about just standardized assessment, it's so important to have that standardized test score. But then also going back to what you and I just finished talking about of knowing what typical developing is, normal development, understanding that continuum of development so that the therapist can mix the results of the standardized assessment with their clinical knowledge base and what they know to be appropriate or what is not really appropriate in terms of a child's development. Exactly. So every time we do an evaluation on a kid, we do this assessment, but we're also looking at social skills and talking with the parent, interviewing about activities of daily living, the self-care tasks as the kids get closer to three, they should be doing more for themselves. So that all kind of goes into the development of late three. And for me, that's one of the nicest things of working with you, Megan, is you are so calm and just relaxed about how you work with kids. It's so nice because you naturally just integrate all that because just in various conversations we've had about kids and caseloads and that kind of thing, if a child's not doing something, I'll might have bring something up, but you'll say, oh, well, but what about, well, you know, there's this is happening at the home or there. So it's just there's still that nice, natural, whole child approach and integrating both of those things together. You just do so nicely. And you can just tell by your voice on this podcast how you know, relaxed you are and Calm. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's just also how you're just approached to therapy. So you mix the two nicely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just talk about normal development. So start at the beginning. So at the beginning of development, typically you have your babies on their back. And one of the biggest things, if you start bringing a rattle or a ball or anything in front of their face, they should be tracking. Eyes should be tracking both ways. And that's kind of the very start of what we like to call hand-eye coordination, but they've got to be able to track things in space. And the last thing would be, you know, they have the palmar grass when they're born. So if you put your finger in their palm, it will immediately, their hand will immediately close on yours. And then by two months, that should be gone. That reflex should be gone. They should be able to drop things out of their hand and not as soon as something's pushed against their palm, they shouldn't be squeezing onto you. Right. And that, you know, that's actually one of the things that I look for when I'm doing a feeding assessment on an infant is I'll look for that grasping reflex. If they don't have it, then it automatically red flags for me that there may be an underlying neurological component that would also affect feeding. Exactly. But I learned that from an OT. You don't want it to be a reflex, but then if you present them with a rattle, they should be able to hold on to that. They're not going to shake it, but their hand should be able to hold on to it. And one of the big things that happens in those first two months is around six weeks, you should be having a social smile. So when you're smiling at them, they're 
returning that smile. And you think parents are smiling still at six weeks because that's the time period I call like not for wimps because think about a six-week-old baby. I mean, that's, that is not for wimps, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. so I'm wondering if I recognize a social smile in any of my children at that age because I don't know that I was coherent enough to, but maybe, but yeah, maybe, but yeah. Okay, so six weeks of social smile. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what do we move to? And then once we get to about three months, they should be making eye contact with you. Because at the very beginning, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they even are cross-eyed, even as when they track things. But if you're right in front of them, they do kind of cross their eyes. But by three months, they should have that just complete eye contact with you without the eyes crossed. And then that's when they start the reaching. So if they are lying on their back in your hand, holding something up above them, they should start reaching for things. And they should be able to bring their hands to midline. So that means their hands coming together. Okay. And their fingers will touch together, and that's the very beginning of what we call bilateral coordination, so using those hands together. Right. And you'll see that about four months. And then as they get older and you're, you know, sitting them with, with, if they're in your lap, Mm -hmm. and you have something in front of them around four months, they'll start reaching out for those things and trying to pick them up and picking up a rattle and picking up a cube, things that are safe, of course, that we want babies to pick up. At four months of age? Four to five months is what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll start reaching for it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, picking it up with just their whole hand. Yeah, and that also coincides. It's so it's um, it's just, like, as you're talking, it's so interesting to me because I'm, I mean, I'm a speech therapist, so I go to the speech and language part. But it's also, that's the age when they're reaching for people and they're reaching for stuff, and they're, so they start to get, interactive. And that's also such a huge component of social interaction and getting social feedback because whenever they reach and grab for stuff, automatically their caregiver, or, you know, parents, whoever it is, it just automatically just encourages talk and encourages like that social interaction. Like, oh, you want the rattle? Oh, oh, here we go. Or, oh, it's a pink rattle. Or look, it's a little dog. Or, oh, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just so cool as you're talking how it all like goes together. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one component I don't really cover, but here like as you have a rattle or toys that make noise, they should be turning their head, you know, right to pick up these sounds. Yeah, so. and, and reaching for people and that, you know, same thing. Yep, exactly. Yep. So then around six months, they are able to secure objects and actually they should be able to pick up two cubes in both hands to be able to hold things simultaneously in either hand. And then they should be able to kind of mimic what you do. So if you have something that you want to bang, a plastic cup on the table and you bang it, then they should bang it too. Hmm. That's just kind of that mimicking social skill that they pick up. And then they also should, by eight months, they're starting to kind of isolate that index finger. Right. Not completely, but be able to kind of poke their finger into a hole of the pegboard, which not something you would do typically at home with your kid, but that's part of the assessment. They would, you know, kind of be able to put one finger into a hole on a pegboard. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bailey, but on the Bailey test, they always have that pegboard with the pegs in it. You know, you give the pegboard to the baby, and I think there's a model that you can do with that assessment anyway. But it's completely unnatural. I mean, who does that? (laughs) And then they also start using the pads of their finger more. So if they were picking up a cube, it wouldn't Mm. be with their whole hand like it was at the four-month mark. It would be more of the pads of your thumb and index finger picking up cubes. And it's also when, you know, by eight, nine months, you're starting to introduce the, you know, Cheerios or 
little right. tufts. And so they start using that raking grass to pick them up. So that fingers bringing it into the palm kind of shove into the mouth that little kids do. Well, you know, and it's so interesting because when we did the gross motor podcast, we talked about core development and core strength and how important that is because having that core strength allows the child to be able to isolate a finger and get more of that refined, fine motor development that happens right now. But if they don't have that core strength, then you never see any of this other stuff develop. That's very true. One thing we always say is proximal stability before Mm -hmm. distal dexterity. So proximal being your core muscles and your shoulders before you can have elbow and hand dexterity. Yep. I'll see that a lot when I'm working with preemies where maybe the cord is not as strong as maybe a full-term baby. And it doesn't mean that they can't get there. It just means that's one of the areas to look at and assess. And a lot of times I'll see it if I'm involved in terms of an early speech and language at this point, because it would be early, but really more I would be involved with feeding stuff, then usually I'll always consult an occupational therapist because I know, or, or PT if they're not involved, because I know that's really the issue more, not the feeding's not the issue. They just don't have the trunk support to use their hands really like right. they should. Okay, yeah. so sorry, I got us off track a little bit, but I'm No, with that's you. okay. So as, you know, nine to 11 months comes around, that's when you do... Continuing on the feeding, you starting to use more of the pincer grasp um, start to emerge, and so using the thumb and port or pointer finger right. to uh, pick up small pieces of food and bring to the mouth. It's also when they were bringing their hands together, but this is when they start clapping and banging things together at midline. Right, and this is a very important skill for kids. Like I said, holding two things simultaneously and then bringing them together. Mm-hmm. So that's a big milestone we look for uh, mm-hmm. in our kiddos. And then mm-hmm. being able to follow the command and kind of release objects where directed. So either in your hand or in a bucket or where you want it, but having them actually pick it up and then voluntarily release it somewhere else where you want it. Whenever I'm doing an arena assessment with OT during this part, then I'm always looking to see if for object permanence, because when they do drop it, I'm looking to see if the baby looks down to remember where the, the object still exists, you know, after they drop it, that it still exists. If they drop it on the floor right out of their sight, it's a good way for me to assess object permanence. So, Right, because they know where it went. Yes. And so then as they get older, 12 to 14 months, they're mm-hmm. actually picking up those small pellets with the pincher grasp isolated and being able to put it into like a small bottle, like the size of a medicine bottle. So you can tell fine motor-wise they've gotten, you know, a lot more dexterity of picking up a tiny pellet and being able to put it into a small bottle. Right. Because I'm sure that you give your 14-year-old small pellets and put them in a small bottle. <laughs> All the time. No, but you can do it with Cheerios in a cup. Yes. Kind of the same, yeah. same thing. See, you that's what have. I'm talking about. See, that's normal. That's a beautiful thing because it's a normal thing that you don't expect a baby to pick up, pick up a pellet and put in a bottle. Yeah. Pick up this little yeah. tiny peel right. and that put it in the bottle. The no. <laughs> that's right. That's anyway. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. I got you off track. But again, back to, you know, when we do assessment, it's hard to keep things standardized. So, if, you know, yeah. if you have food, Cheerios, or little puffs involved, and that's right. what I'll use. So. Like, again, on the, the little bottle with the little sugar pellets, it's just not appropriate because you really don't want your child playing with medicine no, bottles. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also, at that age, should be able to pick up a marker or crown and make a scribble at least mm. two inches long. So that's understanding what you're doing when you have a pen and paper kind of writing. And it's also kind of a social skill of mimicking, picking up something and being able to scribble, but being able to make an actual meaningful mark. 
for me, it's a good time to assess like a communication intent because if they make a mark on the piece of paper, usually sometimes it's the first time they've ever held a marker or or maybe not, but they're usually not allowed to do that too much at the house. And so they do it. And a lot of times a baby will do that and then they'll look to their parent like, Did you see that? Like, that was cool. And so it's a good way for me to assess that social engagement and commenting. Because sometimes a child will look at the parent and go, huh? Like, I, uh, I used, did you see this thing that happened? It's way really cool. And it's a good way for me to assess, like, comment and that social initiation, communication, all that is good for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, the 12 to 14 months for self-care, that's when you should start noticing your kiddo trying to put their arm out to help you when they're getting dressed or put their foot out when you pick up your shoes. That's kind of when they start to realize those things belong to me and I'm wearing them. So That's a good way to put uh, that. These things belong to me and I'm wearing them. That's a milestone. It should be, shouldn't it? That should be on a chart somewhere. I like that. I want to use that again. Okay. Yeah. And then 15 to 18 months is when, you know, building... Stacking cubes becomes a cool thing, and again, they're being able to pick up cubes with their thumb and index finger, the pads of their fingers, and putting one on top of another. Of Mm. course, that's typically after it's been modeled for them. And then also when puzzles, being able to kind of identify shapes, so they're able to, we have a, on the assessment, it's a square, a circle, and a triangle, and they should be able to put two out of three in correctly. Oh, really? um, Wow. By 18 months. Yeah, so that's kind of the start of puzzles. Um, I didn't know that. That's pretty steep. That's, huh. Yeah. All right, I learn something new every day. Okay. And then back to self-care, this is 15 to 18 months is when they should start using utensils, and it's going to be sloppy. So, you know, I tell parents, take off your shirt, let them be in a diaper, and just Mm -hmm. let them go at it with utensils because they're modeling what they see, and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be perfect, and it's going to be messy, but... If they're holding the utensil and trying to get the food to their mouth, then that's what we want. So yep. I yeah. should always be encouraged. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is messy, but it's um, it's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> and then as they get older, the assessment kind of goes along with just building on the thing. So by, you know, 19 to 24 months, once you get to that 24-month mark, they should be able to get all three shapes correctly and do a puzzle. Okay. And then stacking up a tower up to six cubes. Mm-hmm. So by 24 months also, they should be able to drink from an open cup with adult assistance. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I would ever give my two-year-old an open cup. That's right. <laughs> but if she's at the table, you know, watching her closely to get it and be able to tilt her head and the cup and then place it back on the table. And then they should be able to use a spoon. They'll still be spilling some, but they should be pretty effective at getting pudding or whatever it may be, to their mouth by then. And that's also when they start taking off their shoes independently. Now, and some people think this is gross, and I don't know, but I sometimes will tell people to give kids an open cup in the bathtub. And, I mean, they're drinking the bath water a lot anyway. So sometimes I'll tell them that they're working on cup drinking and stuff to try it in the bathtub with water, not so the child drinks like a ton of bath water or anything, but just so they right. can practice because it's a mess at first. It's just a mess. Yeah. Yeah, just so that they're not spilling, like, uh, orange Kool-Aid all over your carpet or whatever. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's not a good time either. Uh, <laughs> that's an awful time, but anyway, um, or whatever, milk. So we're moving on to... So 25 to 30 months, if you gave a kid a medicine bottle, I don't recommend doing it. They should be able to get the <laughs> lid off of it. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Yes. Okay. And then as they stack cubes, they should be able to get it up higher, up to 10 cubes by uh, two and a half. Hmm. And then... 
this is also another scary one. Some parents are like, what are you doing uh, giving kids scissors? Right. So a kid should be able to, if you model it, be able to open and close the scissors to cut the paper. So Mm -hmm. I know sometimes that seems really early. And when I think about it, I don't know if I want to have my daughter cutting by two and a half. But I've known a lot of kids to cut hair at two and a half, so, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, hair, paper, uh, same thing. And this is also when they should be able to copy a horizontal line going across the paper. And this is a big one I have to look for with kids because mm-hmm. we want to make sure they're crossing midline. So if they're right-handed or they're using their right hand, we want them to be able to start that horizontal line on the other side of their body and go uh-huh. all the way across. And if they're left-handed, they're starting it on the left side and going all the way across to the right side when they're making that line. So kids crossing midline is what we're looking for there. Yeah, that's a big OT thing. So 25 to 30 months is when you start to see kids copying a design. So if you were using wooden block designs, you could set you know three out with one on top so it looks like a little train. And then they should be able to copy that train block design. Yes. And you can see this with kids, like if you don't have wooden blocks and you build Legos um, Mm -hmm. in a certain design, you know, very simple pieces, and then have them copy it, that's normal developers, kids should be able to copy that design from you. Huh. That's good to know. I didn't know we could substitute Legos. Yeah. Okay. Also, between 25 and 30 months is when you start stringing beads. So, being able to get two beads onto a string is what we're looking for. And then I've seen lots of OTs do that with like a pipe cleaner and some beads. It doesn't have to always be a string. I've seen lots exactly. of creative stringing at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I've used the pipe cleaners and small beads or wooden blocks a lot with kids. Yeah. For me, I just use like if it's a good speech activity to request for more or to name colors or if we make like a bracelet. And so if I know they're also getting OT and that's one of their goals, I'll have them string something on a pipe cleaner and then we just turn it into a bracelet. You know how it goes. You All the time you do that. Perfect. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So then um, 31 to 36 months, so good enough to three, they are able to draw a circle, copy you drawing a circle. And then again, back to the blocks, copying a design. So if you had a bridge, so you have two blocks and you put one on top, but there's space in between the bottom two, that's what you're looking for there as far as the big visual motor skill of can they see that there's a space in between the bottom two. Right. Before you put the other one on top. So those are the two that we're looking for. And then when it comes to self-care, there's by three, they should be using uh, utensils appropriately without any spillage, and mm. that includes fork and spoon, mm. and this is also when they start, you know, taking off clothes independently, to mm. being able to get off their shirt and their pants, so one less thing parents have to do, but it, it's not typically till four that they actively get it on by themselves, but taking it off, as we call in the OT world, doffing about three. Yep. Everybody in my household can take off clothes with no problem. They just have trouble, like, putting them in the hamper. So, like, I don't know when the, that, yeah. when the like, putting them in the dirty clothes. or And also that whole self-care spillage uses without spillage. Like, I don't know if any of us have mastered that situation. Because, <laughs> like, I look at the table underneath when we eat at the kitchen table. It doesn't. It's not good. So answer me this question, Megan, before we wrap up. A lot of people ask me, when are they supposed to pick a hand? Right hand, left hand? What, what age are they supposed to pick the hand dominance? When does that happen? So dom- hand dominance, actually, we don't pick a hand dominance until they say four, but I think more closer to five as you get to five. So parents who are worried about hand dominance, you really should just let kids explore 
and not force a hand use, definitely not before three. Hopefully, you know, one develops. I have seen a few kids use both hands equally well, and by the time they're five and getting ready to go to kindergarten, I do tell parents to have them pick a hand just because handwriting and all those tasks will be easier for them if they decide a true dominant. But as far as up to age three, our hand dominance really isn't important. In fact, they should be using both hands equally well to do all these bilateral coordination tasks that we want them to do and transferring objects equally. I have like a multitude of questions as it related to like handwriting and hand dominance and like visual motor attention and bilateral and all that mess. But that really is a whole nother podcast because I got like a ton of questions. So um, even though I do this for a living and I work with OTs for a living and PTs, I do, I still do have a lot of questions. So that is a whole nother podcast and we will do that at another day and time. But I think that was very comprehensive. Thank you. That was great, Meg. I appreciate it. You're welcome. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, this was this was fun. I enjoyed it. And um, we'll do another one. Like, so we talk about all like the next thing after four or three. Um, we got to three because I do have a bunch of questions. Because like I said, I think everybody needs a little bit of OT. And if you didn't get it, then uh, and also so much stuff. I mean, just think about all the stuff you just talked about, fine motor, visual motor, strength coordination. But we will do it another day. So thank you again, Megan. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 